Today is, is the day when we're in our second week of this sermon series called Greater Love. I think that's pretty appropriate for Valentine's Day, right? You know, this is the, the day where we try to express love in so many different ways. Um, you know, maybe you bought your significant other a, a dozen roses, or maybe you got them a box of chocolates, or maybe you have a, a romantic weekend, you know, planned to get away in the near future. Hopefully none of the husbands in here got your wife a, a sleek, sexy new vacuum cleaner or iron. For those of us who have made that mistake, we know it's not pretty and we'll be praying for you. <laughs> if you have kids in elementary school, they probably traded Valentine's this past week, right? If, if we weren't in the middle of this pandemic, our kids in high school would have probably had the sweethearts dance this last week. So there's just a lot of activities centered around Valentine's Day. And I recognize if you're not in a relationship, you probably hate Valentine's Day either because you wish you were in one or you think those of us that are are idiots because who would spend 50 bucks on some flowers are going to die in a few days anyway, right? In fact, someone here at the church this morning said we should rename it Singles Awareness Day. (laughs) That was his name for Valentine's Day. But no matter how you feel about Valentine's Day, we were all created with a desire to be loved. It's part of how God created us, created us in his image So today we're going to continue talking about love, not love that comes and goes, not love that's manipulated or can be changed. We're going to continue talking about a greater love, the kind of love that God had in mind when he created it and gave it as a gift to us. So in this series, we've been investigating what God's word says about love. How is it displayed in the Bible? We don't want to look at love how culture talks about it because believe me, culture has a lot of very foolish things to say about love. Specifically, we're digging into three of the original Greek words that we see in the Bible used for love. Last week, we looked at the word agape. And agape is that that unconditional, self-sacrificial kind of love that comes directly from God and is freely given to all of us if we'll put our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. See, that's the love that all of us can know and experience right here and right now because of Jesus. So it doesn't matter if you're single, if you're married, if you're divorced, or if you're widowed, you can experience the greatest, most powerful love, agape love. And you get to experience it from the greatest being, the almighty God of the universe. And we see this love displayed through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And we know that we receive this love by faith. And last week at the end of the sermon, we challenged you that once we receive it, we don't just hold on to it, but we're called to share it. You and I are called to share this agape love with those around us so that we help make God's love visible to them. And hopefully you've been intentional about doing that this past week. Now today we're going to look at a different kind of love. We're going to look at eros love. And Eros love is a passionate and intimate love that God designed to be experienced in the confines of marriage between a husband and a wife. And so parents, I just want to warn you, we're going to be digging into a topic that's a little PG-13 today. I'm going to do my best to present it carefully and with the respect that it deserves, but that's where we're going, that's what we're talking about. I think I must have gotten on Pastor Brian's bad side when he was putting together the teaching schedule. He's like... So who can we get to stand up in Logan and talk about sex in front of everybody on Valentine's Day? Hey, I will have Pastor John do it, right? Well, historically, here's what we know about this word eros. 
Okay, the, the word is often used to express a sexual love or, or feelings of arousal and desire between two people who are attracted to one another. And the word eros is where we get the English word erotic. And sadly, that's where some of the distortion starts. See, over time, this word eros had been manipulated by the Greeks. Sex was used very loosely in their culture. It was very ungodly. In fact, this word eros had become so twisted that you won't actually see the word eros in the New Testament. The New Testament writers had been so turned off by the word and how it had been perverted that they didn't even include it in their writings. Eros was the name of the Greek god of love. He was originally imagined as a, as a winged youth in his late teens or early 20s. But over time, the images of him got younger and younger until by the Hellenistic period, he was viewed as an infant. If that sounds a little bit familiar, that's because the Romans caught on and their version of Eros was Cupid, right? That chubby little baby we see around Valentine's Day that, that shoots arrows and someone falls in love, which makes no sense to me. Folks, if you get shot with a bow and arrow, you will probably die. You're not going to fall in love with someone. But like many other gifts from God, Eros' love was distorted. It was twisted. And it became this idea of, of uncontrollable passion and desire with, with little to no boundaries at all. That's not at all what God intended when he created it for us. So I want to start with a, a working definition of Eros' love from God's point of view. After all, he created it so he should know what it's supposed to look like. Eros love is physical intimacy between a husband and wife in marriage. It is a gift from God. Now, even though we don't see this word eros used by the New Testament writers, the Bible still gives us a very clear picture for it. We see it used in the Old Testament. In fact, this subject is so important that God dedicated an entire book of the Old Testament to talk about physical intimacy between a husband and wife. The Song of Songs, or you may have grown up calling it the Song of Solomon. Now you might be thinking, well, wait a second, I thought the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Well, you're right, originally it was, but by the 3rd and 2nd centuries B.C., it had been translated into Greek for the Greek-speaking Christians, Greek-speaking Jews. And in this translation, we see Eros used throughout the book, Song of Songs. Now before we jump into Song of Songs and kind of see how Eros' love is displayed there, I want to go all the way back to the beginning, to what God originally intended when he created Eros' love. So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis. So in Genesis, God had created Adam to help rule over the earth, to partner with God in managing the earth. And Adam was alone, and God said it is not good for him to be alone. So he created Eve so that Adam would have a companion, so that he would have relationship. And we catch up to the story in Genesis chapter 2, Verses 23 and 20, through 25. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. <laughs> At last, Adam exclaimed. He was like, It's about time. See, if you back up a couple of verses, Adam had just finished naming the animals. And so animal after animal after animal comes before Adam and he's naming them. And they all had a male and a female counterpart. And I'm sure Adam had to be wondering, well, where's my mate? You know, where's my counterpart? 
So he exclaims, at last, when God creates Eve. Now, Adam was formed from the ground, but Eve was formed from Adam's flesh. And that's not just a trivial fact. I think that's significant. See, God is elevating a unique relationship that's unlike any other relationship that we have on earth, a marriage between a man and a woman. And it's, it's an eros love kind of relationship. It's sensual, it's intimate, it's physical. A love that united Adam and Eve together and makes them one flesh. And they were created perfectly for each other. So marriage and sex and eros love were created and instituted by God. They were a gift from Him. And the Bible is clear that a husband and wife should enjoy these things. This act is symbolic of them coming together in one flesh, not just physically, but also emotionally and relationally as well. And Eros wasn't just created by God. Again, it was a gift from God. Physical intimacy in the marriage relationship is a great gift to us and should be utilized in our marriages. Look at what the author of Proverbs chapter 5 says about it. He says, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Now, if we were to look at all of Proverbs chapter 5, it's really words of warning from a father to his son. And the main theme of chapter 5 is warning his son against adultery and straying from his marriage. I love how intentional the father is about talking to his son about this. Parents, what a great conversation to have with your kids. What a great thing to be praying about for your kids. That your kids would be intoxicated by the spouse of their youth. And the original word that's translated rejoice here means to be glad with or take pleasure in. There's no need to over-spiritualize this. The author is clearly talking about physical intimacy and enjoying sexual relationships between a husband and a wife. And God wants us to know that this gift is intended to be enjoyed exclusively in that context, within marriage, between a husband and a wife. And this is in such contrast to what our culture tries to tell us. Culture tries to say that Eros love can be enjoyed whenever and with whoever that we want. And that when the flame fades, we just move on and find it somewhere else. But this passage encourages us to look to each other as a husband and wife for lifelong satisfaction in relationship. As we transition into the book, The Song of Songs, we're going to see that really it's, it's a wedding song honoring marriage. And here we see Eros displayed in, in its purest form. And there's something, something very sacred about it. Something that makes it set apart. Again, our, our marriage relationships are unlike any other relationship we have here on earth. And so the theme of the book is a committed and lasting and loving and passionate relationship. And it's based on a covenant. It's based on a promise. You see that referred to here in Song of Songs 8.6. It says, place me like a seal over your heart like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy as enduring as the grave. This verse clearly reinforces the image of a lifelong commitment. It talks about a seal that identifies the husband and wife as belonging to one another. It mentions how love is as strong as death. 
how it's something that lasts to the grave. See, as great as this Eros love gift is, it's not the foundation of our marriage. We should never base a marriage on physical attraction or on Eros love. The foundation should always be agape love. Because agape love is the kind of love that makes all the other loves grow and flourish. So we base it on agape love. That's the foundation. See, Eros love intensifies with selflessness, agape love, but it's diminished by selfishness. Good Eros takes work. Did you ever feel like you were just totally in love with something or someone and then out of the blue those feelings just died? Like my, my daughter Jordan, I remember for almost a year, ate turkey and cheese sandwiches every day. It's like all we could get her to eat. It's all she would ask for. And then one day out of the blue, she was sick of them. And now you can't even get her to eat them. She, she doesn't want to touch them. That's how culture tries to present Eros love. That it's something that you can fall in and fall out of. That when you get tired of it, you just move on to the next thing. That you can be in love one minute and then it can go away. Guys, that is a cheap imitation of the Eros love that God created for us. Love based on feelings and emotions alone will always leave you disappointed. A love that's only based on myself, my desires, my wants, my needs will always fade. It'll never last. But a love that's based on agape love, on that unselfish, sacrificial love will help our Eros love to grow stronger. See, when we put our spouse's needs, desires, and dreams ahead of our own, the result is that our love for each other intensifies and it actually creates more enjoyment in the sexual part of our marriage. But sadly, our world is confused about marriage. The prevalence of infidelity and divorce and the constant attacks to try and redefine what marriage even is are, are completely contrasting to what's displayed in the Song of Songs. Let me just give you one example. It's from chapter 5, verses 2 and then 6. This is the wife speaking here. And she says, I slept, but my heart was awake when I heard my lover knocking and calling. And then some time passes. Then in verse 6, she says, I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but I couldn't find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. And so what happens in chapter 5 is we see this progression. They were eventually reunited. They were reconciled. And we see this progression of how they continued to work at their marriage even after some time had faded. And it's symbolized in a dream. And in the dream, the wife rebuffs her husband and he leaves. And then she can't find him. See, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies anymore. You might say that the honeymoon period was over. The wife's feelings had started to fade. And so in her selfishness and in her impatience, it caused separation from the husband. I actually love how honest the Bible is here because that's how many marriages are sometimes, right? I mean, the reality is with the passing of time, a marriage can start to lose its sparkle. With external pressures, work deadlines, parenting responsibilities, etc., they can sap desire and energy then expectations go unmet. Ironically, most of those expectations aren't even spoken. If you think about it, you and I are holding our spouses responsible for expectations we haven't even communicated to them. How unfair is that? 
And when those expectations go unmet, we start to get frustrated. And we start to feel like we're not in love anymore. And before you know it, so often we just give up. That's not at all what God intended for our marriage relationships. God never intended Eros love to be a standalone love because by itself it will fade over time. But when you agape love, your spouse is the foundation of your marriage. The Eros love will grow stronger and stronger over time. That's what we see in the Song of Songs. See, with agape as the foundation, Eros can be renewed. Romance can be rekindled. If physical intimacy and passion decline, they can be regenerated, but it takes work. It takes work to have a thriving marriage. So how do we do it? I mean, if you're like me, if you're a husband, I'm just like, well, just tell me what to do, you know? I can't draw, but I can trace, right? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So I'm going to give you five practical ways to work on your marriage. Number one, give your spouse the attention that he or she needs. Okay, we see this in Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 10. It says, I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. This demonstrates a desire to really know your spouse. Just before this, the husband had just praised his wife. In fact, specifically, he was bragging about nine body parts. Now, I'm not going to read those out here today. You guys can read those at home tonight as a couple. But, but that's what he had just done. He was intentional. He knew his wife. He had studied his wife. See, that's what I love about the Song of Songs. There's so much thought and energy and time. I mean, the whole book is really just a collection of love letters back and forth between the husband and the wife. It wasn't just a quick, I love you, honey, on the way out the door. They put so much time and energy into it. So take time to know your spouse. Do you know what their hopes are? Do you know what their dreams are? Do you know what their fears are? Here's a good one. Do you know what their primary love language is? If you don't know what their primary love language is, I would encourage you to have that conversation because you could be speaking love, you could be working into the marriage, and if you're not speaking their love language, they're not going to receive it the way you had hoped. There's a great video on the partner page, pursuegod.org slash AC, if you want to have that conversation with your spouse. I would encourage you to have that this week. Okay, step number two, encouragement and praise, not criticism, are vital to a successful marriage. Guys, we should be lifting each other up as spouses. We should be encouraging one another. We should be our spouse's biggest cheerleader. What would our marriages look like if we spent as much time and energy cheering on our spouse as we do our kids? Our marriages would look completely different. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is do not criticize your spouse in front of others, whether they're there or not. Nothing irritates me more than to be out with a group of guys and there's one guy that's always ragging on his wife. I can't stand that. I want to stop and tell him, hey, genius, you're the one who chose to marry her, so what does that say about you? It's not a very pastoral thing to say, so I don't say it. I just kind of bite my lip. But don't be negative. Don't criticize your spouse, okay, whether they're present or not. Number three, enjoy each other. Sometimes the best defense to protect your marriage is a good offense, (laughs) Schedule time together. Enjoy one another. Delight in this gift of Eros love that God gave us. Here's something. Put times of intimacy on the calendar. Schedule it. And you're probably thinking, that does not sound romantic at all. But think about it. Everything that's important to us, we put on the calendar. So if physical intimacy in your marriage is important to you, schedule it. 
Okay, number four, do whatever is necessary to reassure your commitment to your spouse. Renew your vows. Work through problems. Never consider divorce an option. God wants our marriages to be a place of security, a place of safety, a place of unconditional love. And guys, I'll just share this. Study after study after study shows that a wife who feels secure in her marriage, who feels appreciated by her husband, is more responsive in the bedroom. Number number five, pursue God together. I love this. Pursue God together. There's, very, there's something just very uniting about being on mission together. It creates a deeper sense of connection. So one way to do that is, is mentor another couple. As a couple, come along beside another couple and mentor them. Help them pursue God. Pray together. I can't stress how important it is to pray together as a husband and wife. And one thing you should pray about is your physical relationship. Ask God that the physical physical aspect of your marriage would be a place of refuge for you as a couple. It would be something that draws you together, not a source of frustration and division. Let's take a look at the last words of Song of Songs. This comes towards the very end of the book. It's chapter 8, verse 14. It says, Come away, my love. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. And what's cool here is we're at the very end of the book. But the love between a husband and wife didn't diminish. That The flames are still burning hot. There's still passion in the marriage. And the reason there is is because their relationship was founded on agape love. When we found our relationship on agape love, the eros love will grow over time, even after the honeymoon ends. And so for everyone here who's married, I hope that would bring you some encouragement. I hope that would challenge you to keep fighting for your marriage to keep being creative. For those of you who aren't married, you might be tempted to think, well, this has been a waste of time. (laughs) What does this have to do with me, right? But Song of Songs has a lot to say to someone who is single, and here's why. Today's culture has a distorted view of Eros. God's message is to not awaken love until the time is right. See, I think we all know that the distortion of, of sex and sexuality that was prevalent in the Greek culture hasn't gone anywhere. Today, it's splashed everywhere from billboards, so I hope as you guys are putting your ideas together for the billboard campaign, right, to music, to movies. Our kids are just hounded by it. It's crazy how distorted it is. Make no mistake, my friends, the world is out to distort your perception of Eros love. And its deception is calculated, it's strategic, and it's everywhere. See, when I was a kid, I kind of had to look for ways to get in trouble when it came to sexual sin. For my kids now, it looks for them. I'll never forget, I was watching a football game with my sons. They were about 9 and 10 at the time. And as we were watching the football game, a Carl's Jr. commercial came on. If you guys remember the the series of commercials they had several years ago. So there's this this model. She's eating a, a double chili cheeseburger. She's in a short skirt. Her blouse is halfway undone. I mean, she's going to town. She's pounding it, spilling everywhere. She's moaning and groaning, and I was infuriated. I was ticked off. Now, don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not going to stand up here and try to be holier than thou. I've struggled with lust as much as any of you guys in this room. I've had seasons in my life in the past where I, where I gave into pornography. There were times in my life where that commercial would have filled my head with lustful thoughts, but not then. In that moment, I was ticked. 
I was more than ticked, but I won't say what I was in church. Because I could see what was happening. The world was trying to distort my son's image of Eros love for a cheeseburger. I remember thinking, you're using sex to sell a cheeseburger, right? A cheeseburger? I mean, this wasn't a cologne commercial. It wasn't perfume. It wasn't a condom commercial. It was for a cheeseburger. How distorted is that? My wife and I were so mad, we boycotted Carl's Jr. for a year and a half until they took those commercials off the air. Now that, yeah, that may not seem like much, but man, I love me some sausage, egg, and cheese biscuits. That was hard to do. <laughs> it's hard to do. Okay, but guys, we have to take a stand because the reality is our culture is only getting worse. That's what our kids are facing. And so the truth is Eros love has been manipulated over time to paint a very different picture from what God had intended. God's standard was that Eros love... Sex was to be enjoyed only between a husband and wife and only in the confines of marriage. Anything outside of that is against God's standard, and that makes it sin. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not dance around it. It's sin. Okay? It is sin, and sexual sin is killing our culture. Engaging in pornography is sin. It will destroy the eros love in your marriage. Infidelity is sin. It breaks a sacred covenant. Premarital sex is sin. And I don't care how committed you feel to the relationship, it's sin. And God tells us to run from sexual sin. We see it in 1 Corinthians 6.18. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now think about it. There, there's all kind of places in the Bible where we're told to stand against sin. But when it comes to sexual sin, he says run. He says flee. Don't see how close to the line you can get without going over. Get the heck out of there. That's how we should respond. And this goes all the way back to the Song of Songs. This isn't just a New Testament idea. All throughout the Song of Songs in this passionate letter between a husband and a wife, there is a theme that runs through it about protecting Eros love. In fact, we see it in chapters 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 8. This verse repeats itself. The wife is talking. She says, promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. The theme is purity before marriage is important. We shouldn't awaken love until the time is right. We shouldn't allow the world to distort our view of Eros love. If you're single... Save Eros love for your future spouse. If you're married, enjoy it only in the confines of marriage. Young people, don't be in such a rush. Like as great as this gift is, you ask any married person, there's some baggage that comes with it too. Take your time, don't be in a rush. Just because the world is loose when it comes to sex and sexuality, just because it's so easy to access, don't awaken love until the time is right. See, God has something in store for you if you honor Him and His boundaries. You're going to find God's favor if you remain faithful in this area of your life. And just like all the other boundaries God gives us in the other areas of our life, He does this because He loves us, because He wants what is best for us, because He wants to protect us. Do you trust Him in that? If you think of it, that's really what it boils down to. Do you trust that God knows and wants what's best for you in this area of your life. If you really believe that, you're going to honor Him, and if you don't, you probably won't. 
and I know it's hard, but persistence in morality is honoring to God and it will bring you favor. And the other thing it'll do, it'll bring honor into your marriage, which will give your spouse security. Let's kind of fast forward to the end of the book, chapter 8, verse 10. This is the wife talking again. She says, I was a virgin like a wall. When my lover looks at me, he is delighted by what he sees. Again, guys, this is so cool. This comes at the very end of the book, and their love hasn't diminished. The flame is still there. The wife says, when my husband looks at me, he's delighted by what he sees. Now, part of that, not the only reason, but part of that is because she remained pure until their marriage. In fact, if you look at chapter 8, there's kind of this interesting exchange between her brothers, and we're sort of looking back in time to when she was a little girl. And her brothers are talking, and they're like, how can we protect her until she's spoken for? or until she's married. And they basically say if she's a wall, if she keeps out those who would want to defile her, then we're going to honor that. We're going to build on that. We're going to rejoice in that. But if she's a door, allowing unwise access, then we're going to restrict her freedoms to protect her. What great brothers. (laughs) The world needs more brothers like that. Brothers who will protect their sister's honor. And I don't mean just physical brothers. I mean Christian brothers who would protect the honor of our Christian sisters. I'm so glad that my daughters have two older brothers. Older brothers who have no problem telling any guy who wants to date them, you better be respectful. And if your daughter doesn't have older brothers and you want to borrow mine, let me know. I'd be happy to loan them out to you. But that's important, guys. It's a big deal. And then in verse 10, the wife reaffirms for her brothers that she was like a wall. She did remain pure. And because of that, when her husband looks at her, he delights in what he sees. Now, I know as I share that, that that could be really painful to hear, painful to hear, because some of us in this room have failed in that area of our lives. And so I want to be clear that our failure in this area is not bigger than God's forgiveness and love. God's agape love for you is bigger than any mistakes that you have made. And when you come to him and confess and ask him to forgive you, his word says he cleanses you from all unrighteousness and then in his eyes you're now as white as snow so as we as we wrap up today I just want to say wherever we fall in our journey of life whatever stage we're in wherever we're hoping to experience love I hope that we would understand the importance and the significance of Eros love and also that we would trust God's goodness and his wisdom to experience it the way he intended us to So for all those of you who are married and and maybe you're struggling, I just want to encourage you, fight for your marriage. Do that with agape love. Love each other unselfishly as you work to build back the Eros love in your marriage. Read Song of Songs together. Pray together. Love each other in an unselfish way and let the foundation of agape love lead you to a greater level of Eros love. Let it rekindle the passion that maybe you haven't experienced for a while. For those of you that aren't married, I just want to challenge you to remain pure. God will honor that. You'll bring safety and security into your marriage. And and in the meantime, rest in the fact that you already get to experience the greatest love. A love that far surpasses Eros love. You get to experience agape love right here and right now from the almighty God of the universe. And then lastly, for those of you who have fallen short in this area, who have failed, I just want to remind you, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I just encourage you to run to Him. Confess those sins to Him. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. 
He'll wash you whiter than snow and he'll flood you with his agape love. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I thank you for this gift of Eros love that you've given us. God, I ask that you forgive us for distorting it and twisting it. God, for not treating it with the, with the respect and really the holiness that it deserves. It is a, a unique relationship. God, I want to lift up all those who are single, God. I know the struggle is hard, and I just pray, God, that you would give them trust in you. That they would trust that your boundaries in this area of their life are because you love them, and because you want to protect them, and because you know what is best. God, for those that are married, I just pray that you would help us to be intentional about keeping the fire lit. That through unselfish acts, through really knowing our spouse, through, through loving them as you've called us to love them, that you would continue to build the Eros love in our marriages, Lord God. That we would enjoy this gift that you've given us. Oh God, we just, we just confess where we've fallen short in this area. You know, the, the statistics say that, that half of the men who are in church on a given Sunday are struggling with pornography. So God, the reality is there are guys in this room who are struggling with it right now. God, I just pray that they would turn it over to you. That they'd be able to trust you in this area of their life. That they'd, they'd get some help. They'd be able to be honest and say, hey man, I'm struggling in this area. I need somebody to walk along beside me and help me. So God, we thank you. We thank you and we love you. Most of all, we thank you that you agape love us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.